You are listening to The Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. If you are a young individual investor at home and you have your choice between buying your first home or investing in stocks, where would you tell someone is the better well, bet? If I thought I was going to live, if I knew where I was going to want to live the next five or ten years, I would buy, I would buy a home and I'd finance it with a 30-year mortgage. And, and uh, it's a terrific deal. And if I, literally, if I was an investor that was a handy type, which I'm not, <laughs> and I could buy a couple of them at distressed prices uh, and find renters, uh, I think that's, uh, and, and, and again, take a 30-year mortgage. It's, it's a, a leveraged way of owning a very cheap asset now. And, and no, I, I, think, I think that's probably as attractive an investment as you can make. I'm so excited to be here today on The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I've got headlines you can't afford to miss. You really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. You know that. We've been talking about that for 15 years, you and I. Well, today's going to be the day that you do it. You're going to put it into action. Rhonda Johnson will be here following up with our conversation about credit. It's so important to manage your credit well and to, to play the game per, properly and correctly so you can win. Rhonda Johnson will teach you what you need to know about managing your credit. It's a little depressing when you start looking through some of the news headlines, but I'm going to walk you through all those headlines so you can be as informed as possible. Plus, we're going to tap into how to negotiate like a millionaire and, and much, much more. Let me, let me just share something with you. This is a poem written in 1911 by a woman named Jessie B. Rittenhouse. And I share this poem with you because it's so impactful about the control you have over your life. You really can make a million bucks in your own backyard, but you have to be the person to determine that that's your goal, that's your aim, and that's what you're willing to do. Here's a poem that I think will teach, it's like a roadmap towards anything you want in life, health, wealth, or happiness. Here we go. I bargained with life for a penny, and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. Life, you see, is a just employer, giving you what you ask. But once you've set the wages, why, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn dismayed, that any wage I'd asked of life life would have willingly paid. It's so true. It's absolutely true that any any wage you set, you can accomplish. And that's again, that applies to your health, wealth, and your happiness. It's all up to you. If you own and control, and that's the, that's the essence of becoming a backyard millionaire, owning and controlling four homes, at least four homes in your own backyard. If you do that, you'll become a millionaire. You can't miss. And that's, I'll call that a money back guarantee. Price of entry returned back to you. But seriously, I mean, here's what I love about that plan as well. 
if you become a backyard millionaire, you're, you're working towards these four homes, you can have worked all the while on your job, your career, whatever it is that, that you're moving forward in currently, you do not have to give it up. You might want to later, but you do not have to, to accomplish this. You can continue to invest in whatever plan or strategy is offered, whatever scheme is offered by your employer, whatever you're already invested in. You don't have to divest of that to move into real estate. So you can keep that savings plan going. You can keep that moving forward. And then on top of it, you've got Social Security. I know. I hear the eyes rolling. I hear your eyes rolling. But you know, do you remember when you were young? You probably overheard conversations, much like I did, that, oh, Social Security is insolvent. It's not going to be around when I'm ready for it. And yet some of those people that I knew saying that way back when are, are currently collecting. And I think you will too. So it's, it's part of the plan. It's not the plan. It's part of the plan. Becoming a backyard millionaire is the plan, but you can work part-time on it. Your future fortune will only take you part-time. And it can kind of become an obsessive hobby as well. We'll talk about that later in the broadcast. You can really become, it's, it's a game and you can have a lot of fun with it. But here's the plan. This is your backyard millionaire plan put very simply by a home. Live in it for two years. Buy home number two, live in it for two years. Buy home number three, live in it for two years. Buy home number four, live in it for two years. If you follow that plan, you'll have left behind a trail of wealth and that will become your future wealth as well. Now, you do not have to do it that way. You do not have to live in the house. But when you do, you can overcome one of the greatest barriers to entry into investing and wealth accumulation, and that is the down payment, the costs, the overwhelmingly higher costs for investors versus homeowners. And this is completely legal, this is completely ethical, this is completely doable, and you could start today. This is essentially a plan that you could put into action right now. I'm Chris Story, and this is your Millionaire Minute. It's not an optical illusion, it just looks like one. Stephen Wright isn't wrong. Sometimes the way you look at a thing actually changes the thing or circumstance. What if instead of looking around a neighborhood and you see other people's homes, what if instead you see a mini stock market, one in which you can buy as many shares as you like? If you want a million dollar net worth or more, you simply have to own four homes. Well, look around. You're surrounded by millions of dollars worth of real estate. It's not an optical illusion. It just looks like one. See yourself as a millionaire, then watch your net worth grow. The magic of illusion is it's not an illusion at all. From the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. In fact, you are listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. If you've got a question for me about real estate, investing, property management, or living on purpose, living with an optimistic attitude, all of it fits right here. Call or text 907-299-7653. If you call and you choose to go that route, leave a voicemail for playback. We'll play it back on the air. Or text your question or adoration or affection. That's welcome to at 907 299 
7653 907-299-7653 and be be sure to uh, take advantage of that if you have any questions at all I'm I'm happy to help I want to talk about property management I've got five secrets of property management that's a it's a huge piece of the puzzle you heard Warren Buffett Buffett talk about that a bit ago that if he could if he could uh, accumulate and he was a handy kind of guy and manage the properties well management is a big piece of the puzzle you hear a lot of people a lot of experts out there talking about how difficult it can be to manage property. But the truth is, you and I are talking about your properties, not a conglomerate. We're not talking about a cross-country portfolio unless you choose it. We're talking about in your own backyard. With these five secrets to property management, I think you'll not only enjoy the, the management itself, but I think you'll also help grow your own wealth faster. Because the better a property, it's think about it like anything else. It's a business. The better a restaurant is managed, the more profitable it is. The more you want to go back to it, the better, the more, the more value it has. So it's the same with properties, no different. So the better you manage it, the more you enjoy that process, by the way, the better you'll be at it. I guarantee that. So here's the secret number one. Manage the property yourself for at least a year. I always recommend that. You've got to get a fingertip feel for property management. It's so important. You have to be able to understand what's, what should be replaced versus fixed. And, and once, you, once you have a fingertip feel for that, for example, just with appliances or the screening an application for a tenant, all the challenges and the problems that come up, the costs and the, the ongoing maintenance and all of those things. Who are you going to work with? Who are you going to trust the repairs with and so forth? Once you've got a really good fingertip feel for that, then you can turn over the management. But secret number two is, corollary to that, never take your eye off the ball, even when you've hired a property manager. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to delegate. I've been a property manager professionally for other people for 26 years. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's, it, we provide those of us that do that work, we provide an incredible service to you. However, if you don't have a real good feel for the investment and the process yourself, you, you won't be as effective as an owner and it's your investment, not your managers. The third secret you need to know is to treat your tenants like a customer because they, they are, aren't they? They're paying the bills. These are your customers. These are your best friends. Think about it like this. If you owned a fine dining restaurant, wouldn't you cater to them? Wouldn't you cater your customer and make sure that they've got what they need, the attention they need, and when something comes up, you, you solve the problem immediately? No different. Treat your tenants like a customer. The fourth secret is to raise rents. <gasps> I know, but you have to do it occasionally. You don't need to go in, you don't need to be usurious, not suggesting that you're some sort of a greedy thug that's coming along with a baseball bat and, and raising rents every 10 minutes. Obviously, you have to follow the accordance of the law. You have to give 30 days notice prior to rent being due, blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about keeping in parity with the market. I'm talking about keeping rents somewhat parallel to where the market's at because if you don't, you're actually doing a couple things. You're devaluing your own property you're making yourself less able to respond to problems and maintenance and upkeep. You're also creating a false security within the tenant's life such that they're not actually 
prepared for the marketplace. If they if you sell the property, somebody else is going to bring it up to market, or they move on and go somewhere else. You need to keep the rents in parity with where the market's at least headed. If you don't want to be at the bleeding edge, that's up to you. But you need to at least kind of push those values up a little bit um, occasionally. And then the fifth secret to managing property is to own it like you're selling. Imagine you're going to call your realtor, your real estate broker, and say, hey, put it on the market next month. Well, what's the punch list you'd need to do to prepare? What would you be doing first before you could actually put it on the market? Those things, even though you have no intention of putting it on the market, do those things now. So own your property like you're selling. Those are the five secrets to property management. When we return, we'll be joined by Rhonda Johnson. She's going to counsel you on your credit to make sure you get the best rates possible whenever you want them right here on The Backyard Millionaire. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. Joining me now is Rhonda Johnson, the queen of green with Cornerstone Home Lending. You can find her online at rhondajohnson.net. Rhonda, last time you were here, we had teased about bringing you back to do a credit counseling, a credit clinic, and here you are today. Thank you. Yay, I'm here. Thank you, Chris. Going to be doing a story here in a little bit later in the broadcast about one of the two major barriers to entry into home ownership. And there's 28 million Americans that say in the next 12 months they want to buy a home. But yeah. one of the things that precludes them, Rhonda, is credit. Now, part of it is I can't help but wonder maybe they don't know even what their credit is, number one. Number two, there's a mystery on how to increase or play, increase credit or play the game. And then thirdly, um, it's, if you don't get your credit up high enough, you're just going to pay, you might be able to get into a mortgage, but you're going to pay a higher rate. So where do, where do we get started in this credit clinic? Well, let's just go ahead and talk really super quick about the five factors that go into your credit score so that, you, that we kind of unlock that mystery. Okay. So the first one is, of course, the payment mystery. How well do you pay your bills? But I have clients come into my office all the time that have never made a late payment in their life, but they still don't have an 850 credit score. And that's because the payment history is actually only 35% of your overall score. So it's the biggest factor, but there's 65% of other things affecting your score. Now, the next big factor is how much do you owe compared to your credit card limits. So if I have a $1,000 credit card, how much do I owe compared to that limit? And the secret is, if you owe between 10 and 30% of your limit, then you're going to see your score go way up. If you owe, I'm sorry, 25 to 50% of your limit, the score will still go up, but not quite as much. Once you owe 50 to 75%, the score goes down and 75 to 100% drags your score way down. Now, this is the one factor, Chris, that we have control over, right? So if we made a mistake and had a late payment on our credit report, there's really nothing we can do but let time march on. But we can control how much we owe compared to our credit card limits. And remember I said 10 to 25%, not zero to 25%. And so if you never use your credit card, then you're going to become, it's going to become unranked after 90 days on your credit report. So you want to use it at least every 90 days and keep it under 25% of your actual limit. Okay. A couple of questions comes up there. Um, it's a dangerous game, but if you owe, say, 85 or 90% of your credit limit on one card, you could split it out over a few cards if you trust yourself not to continue to ramp them up. Yes? 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you can keep them all below that thir- uh, 25 to 50% limit, then you're going to be great. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing is that what happens to those people that pay that credit card off every single month, but yet it still shows like it's maxed out. So my husband is self-employed. He'll put $20,000 on his credit card and uh, then he gets his bill. He checks it off with all of his invoices. He writes a check and pays it off. But the challenge is when you look at your monthly credit card statement, then there's going to be a statement ending date or closing date, and there's going to be a payment due date. Everybody looks at that payment due date and makes their payment before the due date and pays it on time, which is great. But whatever you owe on that statement closing date is the date it's going to report to the credit bureau, and that's the balance that's going to show up on your credit report. So if you're in the habit of maxing it out but paying it off every month, then go ahead and pay it three or four days before the statement closing date instead of that due date that's 20 more days out there. That way your payment has a chance to post. And then that new balance after your payment is what gets reported instead of before your payment. Okay, I like that. The other thing you mentioned, Rhonda, is that if if you've got a late payment, you just have to let time march on. How much time before that's expunged from your record? Mm-hmm. So if you have simple things like a, a, a collection account or, or a, a late payment, those are going to stay on your report for um, the next seven years. But if you have something like a public record, like a bankruptcy or a tax lien or a judgment, those can stay on your credit report for up to 10 years. Okay, but just a, just a late payment is? Seven years. Wow. They don't, mm-hmm. God, man, no. that's harsh. Now, another... I know. Well, so pay your bills on time. (laughs) So here's another thing is that whatever happens in the most recent 12 months is going to hit your score the hardest. Okay. Whatever happens in 12 to 24 months will still hit it, but not as hard. Once it's 24 months out, then it starts kind of fading out of your scoring factor. Okay. It'll still be on the report, but it won't hit you as hard. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story in conversation with none other than Rhonda Johnson of Cornerstone Home Lending. Rhonda, my count is that's up to two out of the five categories that impact your credit. What's next? The next one is the length of time that you have your credit. So when you have an installment loan like a car loan, then you start off with a high balance. You pay, 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 pay till it's paid off and then it's done. And then after 24 months, it kind of starts fading out of your history as having a car payment. The credit cards, though, tend to continue to go on and on and on and on. And so that gives you that length of history that you've had your credit. And that's 15% of your score. Hmm. Wow. That's a, that is a big, big piece of it. You mentioned earlier on, Rhonda, that 850, you could pay all your bills on time and still not get to 850. Is 850 the maximum of the credit score you can get? Yes, 850 is the maximum under the FICO score model. Mm -hmm. So the FICO score model, which most lenders use, goes from a scale of 350 to 850. However, you might hear someone say, I've got a 900 score. And they could be right if they're using the Vantage model. And so the Vantage model is a different scoring model that goes on a scale of 450 to 950. And so depending on which model you use will determine what that score looks like. And oftentimes the like free credit report, things like Credit Karma and that kind of thing will use the Vantage score versus the FICO score. 
And that's one of the reasons why what I see is going to be different than what you see. And all we care about is what you see, because that's what's going right. to equal the green. <laughs> okay, so right. length, of, length of history, what else? Uh, then the next one is your mix of credit. So the magic mix to have a higher credit score is to have at least one installment loan, like an auto loan or a student loan, two or three credit cards, and then your mortgage loan. And that's kind of the magic mix to have the highest score, and that's 10% of your score. And then the last one is inquiries, people checking into your credit. So there's soft inquiries and hard inquiries. The soft inquiries are you checking your own credit, uh, current creditors, employers, landlords, utility companies. Those are all, it's called soft inquiries. You might see them on your report, but they really didn't affect your score. The hard inquiries are the ones that affect your score. And so when I pull the credit report to give you a new mortgage loan, then that is a hard inquiry. You go to buy a car or any other kind of obtaining credit, new credit, those are going to be hard inquiries. And those are going to hit you anywhere from 2 to 25 points, depending on your score. So if you have a super high score, you're only going to get hit a couple of points because you've already proven that you can manage the credit you've been given. So if you're given new credit, you're probably going to manage it just fine. If you have a super low score, then it might affect you with more points because if you can't manage the credit you've been given, why should we give you new credit that you're not going to be able to manage? So it kind of implodes the score with a higher hit so that it helps you get control of what you already have before you get anything new. And the better credit you've got, the lowest interest rate will be available to you, correct? Correct. So um, with some of the loans, like Alaska Housing, then you can have a 720, 620, or 820 score. Everybody gets the same interest rate. But most of the other products are all kind of credit score driven, and they put you into different buckets, like 620 to 640, 640 to 660, and these kind of 20-point buckets. Depending on your bucket, we reach in, say, here's the rates and fees that we're going to charge you based on your score. Is no credit... I, 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 I got to be honest with you. People usually when you and I are working together or I'm, you know, helping somebody, usually if there's a challenge, it's somewhere maybe within 20 or 30 points of being um, towards the, the floor. So what is the floor? What's the minimum threshold credit you need to get a mortgage? One. And second part of that question would be, do you even show up on the radar before you get there? Or you just basically, if you have a 400 credit score, you basically have no credit. Uh, it's not that you have no credit. You may have poor credit. No credit is uh, absolutely a zero score. There's just no score. There's no, there's no um, credible accounts to document. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the very minimum that we can get you into a loan with FHA or VA is a 580 score. Okay. Most of all of the other products need a minimum of a 620 or a 640 in order to get regular financing. So we try to look for the products if you're in the lower score range that aren't going to hit you quite so hard on the credits, uh, on the interest rates with a lower score. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have absolutely zero credit, there's a couple of things that you can do. One, if you don't want to build a credit score, then we can do non-traditional credit. So you're paying rent, probably you're paying a cell phone, you're paying car insurance, you're paying utilities, maybe um, you're paying for internet or, you know, there's a lot of things that you're paying every single month and we can document that manually and put that kind of build a file for you to show, yes, I pay my bills on time. I just choose not to incur credit. However, 
you sometimes will get penalized for that and you may have to pay a little bit higher interest rate. So it's far better to get credit and build a credit score. And the way that you do that is to have three accounts on your credit report with payments for a minimum of 12 months. Now people will say, how do I get credit? Well, one of the ways you can do that is with a secured credit card. So whoever you bank with, you can go in, say, here's $500, put it in my savings account and give me a $500 credit card. It looks and acts and smells just like a credit card. Nobody knows it's secured. And you just use it, charge it and pay it, charge it and pay it using those percentages that we talked about. Try never to put more than 30% on it. And then um, you can do a secured loan. So again, same thing. You can say, here's $1,000, put it in my savings account, borrow $1,000 right back from the bank. And then you make payments on that for 12 months. And when it's done, you still have your $1,000 in your savings account. And then oftentimes you can get things like a gas station credit card or Walmart or Home Depot or some of the department store kind of credit cards. And it might not be a very large limit. It might be only a couple hundred dollars, but oftentimes they'll give you a credit card that you can just put a tiny little charge on and pay it off. Tiny charge, pay it off. Do that for 12 months and you're going to have a stable credit score. Is your credit rated... Um also impacting the interest rate, Rhonda, that you're going to get for an investor-type loan, a non-owner-occupied rental property? Absolutely, it'll affect it. It'll affect it as much, if not more, than an owner-occupied loan. But there's a lot of other things that affects, Chris. So your car insurance premiums are dependent on your credit score. Sometimes you can't even rent an apartment without a decent credit score. Mm -hmm. You go to get a cell phone. And you might have to do a prepaid car, uh, cell phone instead of a regular one because of your credit score. My job, I've been doing this since 1983. And in 2010, they said, you can no longer do your job unless you go get this license. In order for me to get the license, I had to do a 100-question federal test, a 100-question state test, a 10-year FBI background check, and get fingerprinted, and have my credit score pulled. Oh, <laughs> really? Wow. In 2010, the mortgage industry nationwide lost 50% of all the loan officers. Wow. And so it can, 30% of corporate America pulls your credit report before you even get called for a job interview. So if you don't fit their idea of a credit profile for their employees, you may be the most qualified person for that job and you're not gonna get called for the interview if you don't fit their credit profile that they want for their company. I guess you could summarize so, and say that credit, well, it says something, it doesn't say everything, but it says something about you enough that it's becoming a barrier to entry to more than just housing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's super important for just a whole lot of things. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing too is some people will say, well, okay, I went through a, a life event and I did have to file bankruptcy or I did lose my home, so how long do I have to wait? And so the short answer to that is the very minimum that we can do is typically two years. Sometimes you have to wait three to five years. So those are good times to rebuild because you know we'll see people here on solid ground and they go along just fine. Something happens in your life and you kind of fall in a hole and you climb yourself out of that hole and you're back on solid ground. Well, the last thing we ever wanna do is while you're trying to climb yourself out of that hole is to put you in more debt and push you back <laughs> right. down to the bottom. Yeah. Say, so here, hold, hold this bag that. of money. Oh! Yeah, back down you go. So we want to make sure that 
that whatever happened, mm-hmm. you've been able to overcome it now and that you're back on solid ground. Again, we always want to make sure you're a success at homeownership. Rhonda means it. I can promise you that after 21 years of working with Rhonda Johnson, this is this is what she lives and breathes since I was 11 years old, <laughs> 1983. Yikes. You've been through a number of administrations. You've seen it all ups, downs, sideways, everything. RhondaJohnson.net, RhondaJohnson.net, Cornerstone Home Lending, wherever you are, Rhonda's there to help you at RhondaJohnson.net. Rhonda, thank you so much. This is always enlightening. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And I'm happy to work with anyone and help them out. Um, sometimes we have clients that we've worked with for a couple of years. And every six months we're repulling it and they go out and fix the next things. And then we repull it and see where we're at. We go out and fix the next things. I also have a credit score simulator that I can do. So we pull the report and we say, okay, if we do this and this, then what will my score t- go to and how long will that take? And so we can do that as well for you. Love it. I love it. RhondaJohnson.net. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story. When we come back, we're going to talk about your home value. Has it dropped? And how far has it dropped? If it's dropped, plus more news and headlines you can't afford to miss right here on The Backyard Millionaire. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. Remember, if you've got a question about investing or property management or just living on purpose, whatever it is, you can text or call 299-7653-907-299-7653 anytime, day or night. And if you call, you want to leave a message, do so and we'll play it back on the air. 907-299-7653. Got breaking news here at the Backyard Millionaire ripped from the headlines. Housing industry is on a mortgage rate roller coaster, says Housing Wire. Eh, all right. 30-year fixed rate mortgage climbed to 6.5% after having dropped to 6% levels this month. Just remember, all right, you can date your rate and marry the home. That's what Rhonda Johnson tells us. Date the rate, marry your home or apartment building. So you're marrying the property for the long term. The rate is transitory. Remember they told you inflation would be transitory. The truth of it is your interest rate is transitory because you can alter it. You can refinance down the road. What your objective is, is to measure your cash on cash return, which is so important and so misleading. Very often you'll hear experts talk about the rate of return on a particular investment over time and how the stock market wins or the bond market would have won out over real estate. And that's never the case because they're not actually doing apples to apples comparison. They're leaving out the very key critical factor of leverage. They're leaving out the thing that makes real estate the most beautiful wealth creating instrument in the world. And that is leverage because you've got to measure your cash on cash return because it's rarely one-to-one. Rarely are you investing 100% of your cash 
into the property, especially if you're following the backyard millionaire plan, you're actually investing as little as possible and you're letting somebody else pay it off for you. Wisely though, wisely. And then cash flow and appreciation and tax benefits, other tax benefits that you get to reap the benefit of. All of those things matter so much when you're thinking about an investment versus just the interest rate that you'll find in the headline. All right, speaking of headlines, has your home value dropped? This is a big headline. Where did I get this? Uh, this is, uh, I believe this was off of Forbes. Housing market correction has already caused homeowners to lose $2.3 trillion. If you read that, you might not sleep tonight. The house, I'll read it again in case you're napping. The housing market correction has already caused homeowners to lose $2.3 trillion. Come on. But the real question is, has your home value dropped? We've talked about this before. Nobody cares about the market. The truth of it is nobody cares about the market. You care about your market. That's what you want to know about. Is my market okay? Is your market going up or down? Well, let's talk about that. Let me dig into this article for just a minute. I highlighted a couple of things that I think are worth noting. For 124 consecutive months, spanning the bottom of the housing crash in February 2012 from through to the top of the pandemic housing boom in June 2022, home prices posted positive month-over-month -month growth for 124 consecutive months. That's a, it's a pretty big deal. Of course, we know what happened. Suddenly, there was a correction. There's inflation. A lot of things led up to that. Then you have a rise in interest rates, which did exactly what they intended, put the brakes on things. Now, here's a quote from this article. On the other hand, the ongoing housing correction is already starting to have a financial and psychological impact on homeowners. On Wednesday, Redfin published a report finding the total value of U.S. homes has fallen $2.3 trillion since the start of the home price correction. Since the start of the home price correction. Think about that. $2.3 trillion in less than a year vanished. It's gone. And, but the truth of it is, it was never there. It was speculative. And when you take that into consideration with the word psychological impact, they're, they're saying right in this Forbes article that, of course, there is a psychological impact that this kind of news will have on you. And it's a chilling effect on the economy. It's a chilling effect on what you might do next. The reality is that you haven't lost money until you sell. You make your money when you buy and hold. And then all of the other things that go into making real estate so beneficial to include, as we said, appreciation, the phantom income of depreciation, as well as other people's money paying off your loan for you. All of these things coming into play. The fact that you might have speculated a year ago that you would get X percent over what you could get today is, I don't want to call it irrelevant, but it's not a loss. And I don't want you to look at it that way. You're buying and holding. So if, you, if you're going to look at every headline and every dip in the market and react, and that's the beauty of real estate over, say, bonds and stocks and other kinds of investment instruments that are so you can liquidate with a phone call, 
That's not going to happen with your real estate. So I know you're not going to rush to panic, but it's the psychological impact I'm worried about because there's a ripple effect. If you feel you've lost $100,000 of home equity overnight or within the last two months or six months, it's going to impact maybe whether or not you continue to look for more investments or whether you decide to to stimulate the economy in other ways and continue to spend money. And then this becomes a self-licking ice cream cone of destruction such that the psychological impact can have just as dire effect, if not more, than the corrective measure, the medicine that we're supposed to be taking to correct inflation. So we have to be very careful when we think about these kinds of headlines. I mean, if you know, you know. Have you seen this? Does it kind of rake on the back of your neck. If you know, you know. Somebody will post a picture or a meme online and then put I-Y-K-Y-K. And if you're hip like me, you know that means if you know, you know. It's shorthand essentially. It's shorthand to say, are you in the club? Well, I'm going to use it anyway. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm going to let you in on a secret here. Real estate is the number one way to accumulate wealth in America, but here's the secret. That's not a secret, everybody knows that. Here's the secret. It can be an incredible hobby. If, you, if you're not already investing, and you're, you're hearing this and you're saying, you know, I don't know, hobby, what are you talking about? I wanna ask you something. Your home, your home currently, um, or if you, had a, if you have a rental, or if you are renting, do you have pride of ownership? Do you pay attention to detail? Do you find yourself watching Home and Garden Network? Do you find yourself watching shows about flipping or investing and fixing up properties? It already is probably a hobby. Why not make it more lucrative and on the side, increase your potential, increase your future fortune on the side? It doesn't take any extra time and it's actually quite fun. Searching for your next deal is also part of the game. We are, Tiffany and I are always on the hunt constantly. We're constantly talking about it. We're constantly meeting about our own portfolio and which is the next type of property. So like we don't even need to be looking actively at a market or properties in a market to be excitedly talking about our next acquisition, which is which type of property. And right now we're focused on finding 12 to 30 unit apartment buildings. That's what our focus is right now. And we're not even actively looking at one in the moment. We're just talking about it and we're having a great time doing it. Coming up in just a moment here on The Backyard Millionaire, negotiate this. Plus, rent controls are being proposed. I'm gonna tell you why that's a bad idea when we return to The Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. Are foreclosures on the rise? Plus, negotiate this and is a read right for you. We'll talk about that and more. Well, are foreclosures on the rise? No. The truth of it is absolutely not. That's the short and the long answer. You remember back in 08, 9, 10, foreclosures, th that was the epidemic. It, it, I mean, foreclosures reached epidemic proportions all over America. But today you see a far different picture. 
And here's, here's a quote. Uh, for, foreclosure rates in the U.S. remain near record lows, according to Residential News in 2022. According to the World Journal report, okay, here you go, 3% of all mortgages were in some stage of delinquency in December of 2022. 3%, that's nothing. In fact, it's down half a percent from the year prior. So in fact, they're going in the right direction. Delinquencies, pre-foreclosures, foreclosures are all going down, and that's a really good sign for the overall state of the economy, of which real estate represents more than one-sixth of. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy Where you invest matters. Not just that you invest. Where you invest matters. You've heard the axiom about real estate, location, 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 a thousand and one times. But it's absolutely true. Where you invest makes not all but much of the difference. And I'm going to describe that and explain that based on an article out of Ireland. Ireland has, in 2022, the rents went up overall 13%. All right. For the year, 2022, the rent rate went up 13%. So if you're hearing that as a tenant, you think, ooh, that's, that's pretty high. But if you're hearing that as an investor, you're like, well, it's it's okay. It's, it's barely keep, not even keeping up with inflation, really. But here's the situation in Ireland. Let's break it down by city. And yes, this is an opportunity for me to tell you that, um, in fact, I've been in every one of these cities that we're about to talk about in Ireland. It's such a beautiful country. It really is. I, I cannot wait to get back to Ireland. Okay, that's enough, enough. It's one of those things. I, it's when you know, you know. <laughs> did he just do that? Yes, he did. All right, Dublin, rents went up 13.1%. Okay, so the, the, one of the biggest cities in the country. Cork, another big city, went up 14.9%. These are the rental rates. Galloway, you know where the Galloway gal is from? Ed, Ed, uh, Ed, Ed Steren. No, what's his name? Ed, uh, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran's song, Galloway Gal. Uh, 19.4%. Almost 20% where you invest matters. If you have a rental in Galway, you're doing well to quite well. 19.4% rental increase. Limerick City, 18.9%. By the way, when Zoe and Tiffany and I were over there, uh, we met some folks. We were in Westport, I believe, or it might have been in Dingle. I think we were in Dingle, which is fun to say. I think we were in Dingle. And uh, somebody, we met at a pub. It was a father and daughter, and they were having a, a little meal together and a, and a libation. And they they introduced themselves to us. And just super friendly people. If you If you get a chance to get to Ireland, you'll find this to be very, very true. And they said, oh, don't go to Limerick. We call it Scab City. Don't go there. You don't need to go to Limerick. <laughs> it was great. 18.9%. Waterford, hello, where your preferred crystal comes from, 20.2%. The rest of the country was at a rate of 138 So on the whole, it's 13% across the country of Ireland. But again, this, I, this breaks down your state. Your community breaks down this way as well. Where you invest matters. Not everything is going up in value uh, commensurately. There is, there are places that are rising faster, 
cost of living is going up, but the valuations are going up. And that's not to say that rent raise is a celebration of, of values going up, but it's an indicator of what's happening in that market. Speaking of which, rent controls are a bad idea. Here's why. If you artificially suppress rents with rent controls and regulations like rent controls, you, sti- you simultaneously are suppressing property values. It's what you're doing. We talked about property management, professional property management earlier on in the broadcast. The reason I'm saying you need to raise your rents incrementally and occasionally is because you're also bringing up the values of your multifamily property, your rental property, and the rest of your market in the community with which you own. So when rents are suppressed and are appraised later, the values are coming down. So you also, with rent controls, another reason it's a terrible idea, you reduce incentives for developers to what? Increase the supply. What do you do when you increase the supply? You reduce the cost. You bring the price down for everybody. If the demand stays constant and you increase the supply, guess what? You're going to have a lower rate. You are achieving through the private sector and through the natural laws of supply and demand and economics, you're gonna achieve what it is you say you set out to want to do with rent controls. But the the truth of it is this, if you mess with supply and demand through regulation, basically this artificial tinkering is gonna end up hurting the very people you say you're setting out to help. Well, here's what's going on in Boston. Mayor Wu is proposing rent controls. She wants to control rent at 10% increases. And it it seems reasonable, she says. At a hearing that she had on Wednesday, it's it's a reasonable rent control, 10% a year. The reality is once you get those rent controls in place, you're never going to get them away. Ask the people of San Francisco, New York, other places where they've tried this. It, It ends up costing people uh, opportunities. Well, another way to put it is this: if you don't, if you have rent controls, the building itself is going to suffer. The area suffers. The values suffer, and ultimately, some tenants stay in places for uh, 30, 40 years because they don't want to give up their rent control. And it's just absolutely a cycle that can be avoided by letting the market, the free market, play out. Speaking of Boston, Boston.com reports you can run and hide. Turns out bunkers and safe rooms are helping sell homes these days. We've seen a good increase, says Boston.com, in demand as tensions heat up because we're uh, sending military equipment to Ukraine. People are wanting bunkers again. Think back to the Cold War era. Negotiate this. How do you negotiate like a pro? How do you negotiate like a millionaire? You care, but not that much. Have you heard the old axiom that he who speaks first loses? It's a bit of a myth. See, somebody's got to make the first move. The idea behind this myth is if you're emotionally involved or you're saying yes too quickly, you could lose. Or if you get impatient and you misread the room, you might pay more or you might get less, depending on who you are, than you otherwise could have, be you buyer or seller. So a better way to look at this axiom isn't about who speaks first. It's more about what you say and how you say it. And are you implying with emotion that you'll pay any price? Are you getting emotional? That's where you start to lose your negotiations. So keep the emotions out of it. Fall in love with the deal, not the property. Be willing to walk away. And remember, 
It's not he who speaks first that loses, but what you say. Is a right REIT for, is a REIT right for you? That's easy for me to say. A REIT is a real estate investment trust. You're seeing a lot more action around REITs right now, even with people that are in the real estate space are starting to create their own REITs, their own syndicates, if you will. And a syndicate is different than a REIT. A REIT is a real estate investment trust. Think of it like you're only buying shares in a company that owns real estate exclusively. So you are investing in real estate, but it's different. It's more like a mutual fund. If the Backyard Millionaire plan is you own and control four homes, when you involve yourself in a REIT, you have no control. You might own pieces of tract housing in Omaha. You might own pieces of uh, farmland. You might own pieces of strip malls. You don't know. There is a portfolio, there's a manager, and you're in a fund. And that's all it is. So if you want to direct some monies into that as opposed to your Roth or some other instrument, okay, talk to your, your money manager about it. But don't make the mistake to assume that that means you're invested in real estate. You're not. You're invested in a fund that happens to be investing in real estate. But it's it's not wrong for everybody. It's just REITs aren't right for me. I want more control. And I want that backyard millionaire plan effective in your life if that's what you want. And sometimes people run to REITs because, well, it is in real estate and then it's going up in value, so I'm going to win. Maybe. But it's completely out of your control. And that's, that's ultimately what this show is about. What our conversations here are about is putting you at the driver's wheel, putting you at the helm in control of your own future fortune, in control of what you do with your life and how you go through this life. And I'm hoping that if you've got any questions, you're going to continue to communicate with me. Call and leave a message or text message at 907 299-7653 anytime and we'll get your questions on the air here on the Backyard Millionaire. Trust me, I know that the news looks a little grim around the world. There's nothing you can look at. There's almost no sector in this country, in this economy, around the globe that looks completely stable or normal. Here's the thing. If you begin to look right where you are with what you've got in your own backyard, you're going to start to see with more clarity and focus that everything's going to be okay. And what we need to do, what you really want to do right now is begin to invest where you are locally, locally with your shopping, locally with your investing, locally with your time and attention. And we get off of the social media and we get into our social sphere because that's a huge part of living well and leaving a legacy. Thank you for being here with me. For all of us at The Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you, to look forward, learn from your past, and never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present.